And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable. The most audible. Hold the applause. Like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Anthony. Hello and welcome to Anything is Potable. It's me, Jay King. You can probably tell I'm not Sam Jam Packard. He is writing a paper for his law school final. So I'm alone today. Um, and what that means is that I'm going to just ask a bunch of people to ask me questions and chat about the Celtics who have lost five of six games, who have looked vulnerable for the first time all season, who looked absolutely abominable during the first half against the Pacers last night. And so anybody in the audience, please feel free to to come up onto the stage, raise your hand, ask a question. Until I get some questions, I'll just kind of talk about the Pacers game, which was yikes. Yikes. Celtics had lost four of five. They should have been in a good place to get a win. They were in the second game of a long homestand. They welcomed back Jason Tatum, who missed the previous game. They should have been hungry for a win. And yikes. Yikes. The, uh, that first half was about as bad as they've looked all season. About as bad as they've looked since the first half of last season. And, I mean, it, it wasn't just the that they got beaten by, they were down as many as 30 points. It was just the general not-give-a-fuckness. Uh, like Tyrese Halliburton was just picking them apart just getting to the rim, pulling up for wide-open threes, finding guys wide open for layups or dunks. And the Pacers won an 18-0 run in the first quarter. Joe Mazzulla called a timeout, I think, after it was 16-0. And then the Pacers scored six on six straight possessions. It's like, have some pride. Play some defense. Like, dig in. You're supposed to be championship contenders. You're supposed to be a team that is hungry after falling short in the playoff in the finals last year. Ever since the Celtics met the Warriors, I don't know whether it's a coincidence or not. They just haven't played like the same basketball team. It's been bad offensively. Their offense, which was the best in NBA history prior to that, has just kind of fallen apart. And and defensively, they, they've made some strides from earlier in the season, but they're still not at that level 
they reached last season, which they just dismantled offenses last season. Uh, hasn't been the case this year. So we'll get to the callers. Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to mess up this name. I think it's Quaz. Quaz, you're on the stage. How are you, man? Quaz, you there? All right. I don't know what, what's up with Quaz, but we'll go to Tom instead. Tom, you are on the stage. How are you, man? What you got for me, Tom? How are you? Uh, I'm good, thank you, mate. Uh, well, uh, since last time I spoke to you, this has gone a bit pear-shaped, hasn't it, to say the least? Um, no, uh, my question is to you, when do you think Joe is going to be able to sort out these timeouts and in just in general timeout management? Because I feel like we started the game quite well. Rick Carlisle pull, pulled out a timeout pr- pretty sharpish and then you saw, well, you saw what happened. You saw what happened to the rest of that first half. It just it seems to... Like, I think the whole point is when you see like a little paper cut, you're meant to try and sort it out. I feel like uh, Joe just makes it a lot worse. And I think it's starting to get on my nerves and start start making me kind of dislike him, I'll be honest with you. And I'm just wondering, when do you think he's going to snap out of it? Because I feel like we're waiting until we've near enough bled out to call a timeout. And I just and even the commentators, especially on NBC Sports Boston, they're even picking up on it and wondering why we aren't calling any. So what do you think his feeling is behind it? I know he says that uh, you need the lads to sort it out and, you know what I mean, you want him to work it out on the fly. But at what point do you go, OK, lads, uh, I think you need uh, some help and this is what I'm here for and this is what I'm paid to do? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, and it comes at a good time after, literally, it took a 16-0 Pacers run for Missoula to call his first time out. So... Like he he gave the Celtics plenty of rope there, plenty of leash. They they used up all of it. He called a timeout. <laughs> uh, I do think there could be a benefit to allowing guys to just play through stuff and learn how to handle it on your own and be the mature forces on the court so that he doesn't have to be the one to call a timeout. And you look at NBA history – Right. And Phil Jackson, who was basically as successful as any coach ever, you can say it's because he had Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and then later Shaq O'Neal and Kobe Bryant. But he always let his teams play through stuff. He was known for not calling timeouts. He was known for for allowing his team to find itself during those moments. And the theory behind it is basically like, you learn from that. And as players, you develop from that. And whatever benefit you might get from calling a timeout in that moment, it it doesn't matter as much as the fortitude that you develop by playing through those bad stretches. And so I think that's part of the theory. Um, Mazzola has also said that he's not convinced timeouts actually stop momentum which is probably fair. (laughs) It's kind of an arbitrary thing to think like teams call timeouts and then the other team just surges after that. Like, I don't know if that's actually the case. I've never actually studied the numbers behind it. I do know that most coaches do call timeouts pretty quickly. We saw it in the second half with Joe Mazzula or Rick Carlisle rather when 
he called a timeout when the Celtics hit two straight three-pointers to cut it to 22 points. And he was quick with that. And it was 22-point def- deficit for the Celtics still. And Rick Carlisle was like, oh, we need a timeout. Um, so there are there are different ways. I'm not going to blast Joe for the lack of timeouts. Um, just because I do think there's a greater purpose to what he's doing. And and that if if his team is going to be the type of team that snowballs and allows the Pacers to go on an 18-0 run, like what that team is not going to survive in the playoffs. And you need to be stronger than that. And and the Celtics felt that in the finals. You know, there there were runs in the fourth quarter that the Warriors went on and things just kind of snowballed for the Celtics. And it didn't matter how many timeouts they called. It didn't matter what the stakes were. It didn't, it didn't matter. They just could not execute at a high enough level. And so they need to get themselves there. And it's not, it's honestly not about a December game. It's not like there will be times when his timeouts are really frustrating. Um, but I'm not going to judge him for that yet because I do think there's like something greater behind that and that maybe the Celtics will benefit from that. Um, let's go to Quaz. Let, let's see. Quaz, you are on the stage, I think. Uh, what you got for us? Quaz, I don't, I don't know what's going on with Quaz. We can't, we can't get Quaz. All right, let's go to Britt. Brett, how are you? Stage is yours. Yes, sir. I think part of it is Williams coming back changes your transition D, right? Pacers shot the heck out of it. And then they made that run. It's like they just couldn't make those layups to kind of get over the hump. So I think a lot of it is Williams coming in, changes transition D, and just Horford's a better perimeter guy and like you got to take that into account too yeah and I think I think part of this is reincorporating Robert Williams and and I was I, I mean I must have said it 10 times on the podcast I always felt like the Celtics would play their worst basketball shortly after Robert Williams came back and that's not because of anything with him. I think he will end up transforming them. I think he will end up taking their defense to an elite, elite level that they can't touch without him. I think eventually his return will just alter them in fantastic ways. But you're reincorporating a guy who's just very different from the players you have on your team. And with Al Horford in the starting lineup, the Celtics are five out. When Luke Cornett comes off the bench, it's like he's laying back in the paint. He's doing his Cornett contest. Like you're not guarding teams the way you're going to guard with Robert Williams. Um, and so I, I just feel like, like it's it's a totally different aspect of the game, and, and that that's without even touching the fact that he needs to find his individual rhythm. He needs to find where he can impact a new offense with a new coach. Um, And he's coming off the bench playing with Malcolm Brogdon, who's in charge of a lot of the second unit offense. He's never played with Malcolm Brogdon before. Malcolm Brogdon has said he's never played with a lob threat like Rob before. 
So there are a lot of factors that kind of go into just the the difficulty of bringing Rob back. Um, and I do think, like, if, if you go back to the first Orlando game, which is the first game Robert Williams played this season, the Celtics were just firing effort. Like, they had an absolutely great start. And then Robert Williams came in. And and he he's looked good. Like, he has looked better than I've expected. He looks like he's in good shape. He's jumping. He's bouncing. He hasn't shown, to me, effects of the knee injury. Like, it's all promising individually. But he comes in, the Magic go on a run, and then the Celtics just never regain that rhythm. And they've kind of been like a machine this season. Like, honestly, they were – like, they knew how to play. They knew what to get to. They've they've known just the style that they're going to play with. And he changes things. And I, one stat that kind of shows how different it is is Al Horford played 26 minutes with Luke Cornett – has played 26 minutes with Luke Cornett all season. And so – the Celtics almost never went to two bigs. Now they're going to two bigs more often, and it's just different. Um, it's just different, and you got to relearn how to play like that. And I, like I said, I, I think it'll end up obviously being a great thing for them, but there are definitely some things you have to go through, and I, I feel like that happened again against Indiana. Like things that started to fall apart. It wasn't like the Celtics were perfect before Robert Williams got on the court. But he comes in and he lets, I think it was Miles Turner go in transition. Like he veered out to the three-point arc because Tyrese Halliburton looked out there and allowed someone to get a dunk. He got isolated against Tyrese Halliburton. The Celtics were switching a lot with Robert Williams, which I don't know if, if that's always going to be the move. Um, I don't know if it's the best decision, but he switched on a Halliburton. Halliburton dusted him for a layup and... And that was part of the stretch after Missoula called a timeout. And that was part of the stretch when things really got away from the Celtics was Robert Williams trying to like find himself. And he had some great moments later in the game, a lot of offensive rebounds. Like like I said, he's going to be great for them. But I do think there are just going to be some pains while he continues to find his legs again and find how he fits into this system and find how he fits like just just get back into the flow of things um and I, I expected that but that first half was still kind of unforgivable let's go to quaz can we can we get quaz i don't know why i don't know why poor quaz i think it's quaz I, I don't know why i i i've hit the the green button to invite quaz onto the stage quaz has not been able to come on the stage let's go to hirsch let's go to hirsch instead Hersh, are, are you allowed to ask something? What's going on here? Jack. Jack, how about you? Oh, we got Hersh. Hersh, sorry. Jack, raise your hand again. Hersh, what's up? Hey, hey. Thanks for uh, thanks for picking me. Um, so it seems to me like a lot of the times when the Celtics get hit with a bad call, uh, when the referee makes a mistake, it just seems like it ends up getting in their head. 
they end up uh, talking back to the referee for, for a while and they end up before you know it um, losing on a, on a 10 to zero run. How much do you think losing their composure when the refs screw up is impacting the Celtics? Yeah, I think that's a factor. Um, and obviously with, with Tatum, like that can be something that becomes an issue at times. Uh, but I, I also generally think that happens to every team and every team gets frustrated. Every team talks to the refs, people watch their favorite teams all the time. So they get more caught up in that. Um, so I don't think it's like this, this big, huge issue. Um, the, the composure against Indiana was not good. I don't know if it had anything to do with the refs, but at some point you have to gain control of that game and decide we're not going to keep letting Tyrese Halliburton dust us. We're not going to allow Buddy Heald to get open shots. We're not going to allow Miles Turner to cut open for easy buckets. And that never happened. Um, so I don't know if it's the refs. Uh, I, I do think that that has been an issue at times, but but it it doesn't bother me as much as probably it bothers other people just because I think every team does it, and and that's just the way it is. And I actually think Tatum has, for the most part, gotten better about that. Like, that was something that he really focused on the refs a lot probably at the beginning of last season. Um, I do think he's improved at least a little bit at that, uh, and he was one of the – the biggest culprits. Grant Williams can be another culprit too, but it doesn't bother me as much as probably it bothers other people. And, and maybe I'm wrong there. Maybe I'm not giving enough credit to how much it hurts them. Um, but, but that's just how I feel. Quaz, we got you on stage finally. What's up? Yeah, thanks. Um, I, I, w- I was just wondering more about that, the beginnings of that comeback. Um, what were the factors that that led to that? Was it just a natural regression for the uh, for the Pacers' offense, or was there something that you saw that the Celtics did differently defensively, um, or was it more their offense? Uh, what things kind of led to that almost comeback from down thirty points? Yeah, when things started to change, it was like all of a sudden the Celtics were picking up full. And really making things tough on the ball handlers. Like the Pacers, Tyrese Halliburton is great. And Nembard is solid. And Matherin is super talented. Like they have a good young backcourt. But they're also like a thin young backcourt, um, young backcourt. And I felt like when the Celtics really picked it up defensively and got into guys they were really impacting what those guys did and taking away a lot of the easy buckets they allowed in the first half. The first half, it was just like Pacers play with a good pace and Tyrese Halliburton can really see the floor and he knows what's happening and he's able to manipulate a defense. And I just felt like, like the, you need to be locked in against that. Um, and it, it may sound that may sound like too much because they're the Pacers are like a average team. He's just a young guy, but he can really, really read a defense. And he took advantage of 
Celtics mistakes and there were a lot of breakdowns um there were times when they just let him walk into threes there were times when um they like got back cut there were times when like just kind of gross gross uh lack of hustle at times but but I I just felt like they needed to be sharper against Halliburton and they weren't and it never changed and and that's the the disappointing thing that's maybe the concerning thing although Joe Mazzulla said he's not concerned we can talk more about his comments because I felt they were interesting and probably gave a window into Joe Mazzulla that we haven't really seen yet um but To, to allow the Pacers to just trample all over you. And, and then I felt like like once the defense started having breakdowns, then the offense, like there were fewer passes. They weren't willing to get to great shots. And when they did get those great shots, maybe they were pressing. They missed a lot of open ones, bunnies, whatever. Um, but yeah, they're like the last six games have just been, been tough. And... The offense has really, really fallen apart. And maybe they found something in the second half. They seemed, I mean, for a for a team that made the finals and has accomplished as much as they've accomplished, they they sure seemed um, at least to be confident about the way they played in the second half and the, the way they responded to that dud they had in the first half. And that's from Joe Mazzulla. Al Horford said it. Um, Jason Tatum kind of said some similar things and it's like why have a moral victory against the Pacers in your fifth loss in the last six games but but sometimes you you feel the change as a player as a coach and and sometimes that matters more than than the idiots who think that uh you know every game should be great every game should be a win every game should be locked in and sharp um we don't have any more questions right now so I'll get to the Joe Mazzulla comments. If anyone has questions, just raise your hand on the athletic app and I will try to get to as many questions as possible. But I really thought it was pretty interesting the comments Joe Mazzulla made about the how he doesn't get concerned and how the Celtics just are where they are. And basically what I took from that is he's he's not gonna like react to what's happened to them he's going to deal with what's in front of them and and there's no point of being concerned there's no point of of being like devastated about what's happened in the last five or six games um and he's he's then said he's got a lot of trust in these guys and and when you take a step back like this is a six game stretch in a season that has pretty much like it was a joyride for a while. It was the offense was just clicking every night and the buckets never stopped. And the Celtics racked up a ton of wins, even though their starting center, who was second team all defense last year and a huge factor for them on both ends of the court, did not play any of the first 29 games. Um, and this is like the first run. So when you really take a step back, and you look at how important this stretch is versus all the stuff the Celtics core has gone through over the years. And you could tick it off like 
they've been through the Kyrie year when, when it was just like everything went wrong. And basically everyone on that team was disgruntled with role, was disgruntled with how the team was playing, was unhappy in some way, shape, or form for the majority of that season. They dealt with that. They dealt with being 500 when Kemba Walker was hurt and the bench wasn't great. They dealt with Brad Stevens leaving his coaching perch and heading to the front office. They dealt with being in 11th place in January, in January, in a hole that no team comes back from and does anything meaningful in that season. And they went to the finals and kicked the shit out of everybody the rest of the season. Um, they they lost their head coach days before training camp and then started the season better than any other team with looked like for a while they were on a mission that slowed down a little bit, obviously. But when you really look at what these core players have been through, what they've stayed together through, what they've persevered through, like five losses in six games really doesn't matter much. And I do think reincorporating Robert Williams is a big deal. Um, And it just, it takes away, it's obviously going to be a great thing. Like it's going to be the best thing. (laughs) It's going to be, if he stays healthy, he changes their ceiling. He changes the way they play. He can take their defense from seventh or eighth place, whatever it is right now to, up there near the top of the league, maybe the very best in the league, um, while doing nothing to hurt their offense and actually giving their offense another dynamic with the rim threat and lob catching and passing that he has. But it's just going to be an adjustment. And um, and then you look at the other – there are other extenuating circumstances in this, in this skid. Al Horford missed, I think it was the first – three games of this five and six losses stretch. Uh, They were starting Blake Griffin. They were on the road at the end of a six game road trip. The, the one of the magic losses Tatum didn't play. He's obviously not just the most important player on their team, but if you look at his on off stats over the last five years, one of the most important players to his team success across the entire NBA. So missing him was a big deal. Um, and then they just haven't played well and they need to figure some stuff out, especially offensively. They need to figure out the, the Robert Williams thing. They need to figure out, are they going to continue bringing him off the bench at, at one point? Are they going to start him and play him next to Al Horford? Like, when does that evolution come? If it does, um, I, I do think teams have adjusted to the Celtics. They're probably more up in guys airspace. You've seen it with. Sam Hauser, you've seen it with the second unit, which was such a great unit for a while, but has been outscored pretty badly during this stretch and dating back a little further, like toward the beginning of December. Um, Like teams know what the Celtics are going to do and you have to adjust to that. And the Celtics have enough players. They have a lot of talent. They have the IQ, the, the character, everything to adjust it, but Sometimes it, it takes a little time, and and they're going through that right now. Um, not not many regular seasons are just smooth, and there's always a stretch when 
partly because of schedule, partly because of whatever else. Um, you just you just don't have it. And right now the Celtics don't have it. They need to find that again. And I think they know that. Um, they've made it pretty clear that, that they don't want to accept the way they're playing, that they need – Jason Tatum has said a couple of times they need to find fun again. And I, that sounds stupid, right? Like, Let's just have fun again. Like, like you're an 11, 12-year-old. But, but the way they were playing early in the season was fun. And the ball was whipping around and everybody was – getting the rock and everybody was getting open shots and everyone was knocking down shots and it's been more of a grind lately um and you can see that and they need to fix some things but I don't think it's dire or anything um and in the the grand scheme of things like I think Missoula's approach to trust these guys um and trust everything they've been through and trust the the fabric of them is probably a pretty good thing like they've been through a lot they've dealt with a lot and they've always come out the other side and they've always learned from it and they've continued to get better and they're still really young and have been really successful um you can we could have a long discussion about whether they need someone to kick their ass more and I do think Joe Missoula like he kicks their ass more behind the scenes than he ever will publicly um he goes at guys more in the locker room than he'll ever share publicly. But I do think there's probably a discussion to have about whether they need a stronger voice, someone to really let them have it during times when they're searching for it. Ime Udoka held them to such a high standard. He was on them. And when they fell short for even a half, he was on them and he was ruthless. Um, and I do think they benefited from that, but I also think they could benefit from somebody who gives them a longer leash and lets them play through it and won't call timeouts, and and we'll see. Like, we'll see. Joe Mazzulla's in his first year. Um, everything was easy for a while for this Celtics team. It's not easy now. And this is when the the best players become really important. This is when great coaching becomes really important. Um this is probably not something that's going to last too long. If they're as good as I think they are, it won't last too long. But also, like, this is a, a moment that probably matters for them uh, where they need to get back on track and they need to start playing well again and they need to start building the right type of habits to not just get out of this rut now, but also start building again toward a deeper playoff. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. 
We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f***ing best. Each week, Jay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. We got Eric. Eric, you're on stage, my man. What you got? Hey, Jay. Uh, as you can maybe hear in my voice, I was at that game last night. Were you and, booing? Were you booing? Yeah, I was booing. I booed. I booed my ass off. Um, well deserved booze. Well deserved booze. By the yeah, way, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I made a comment to someone that you know, Boston sports fans, we don't boo performance, we boo effort. And that's it. And the it. effort in that first half was atrocious and and frightening. I mean, honestly, I mean, it, it it threw me. Like I. I question whether this team has what it takes based on that effort. I mean, you know, I don't like to be all kinds of like one of those old guys. That's like the 2008 Celtics never would have done that. You know, the Larry Bird Celtics never would have done that. Like they'll slump. They'll have shooting slumps, uh, defensive slumps. That's fine. But an effort, in those an effort like that in the in those specific circumstances where you've lost four or five to bad teams um you know you're well rested you've you know you've got most of your roster and then you just come out and lay an egg against another weak ass team like <laughs> i'm not, what like i don't get it man and and that worries me like i don't watch I follow the NBA. I'm an NBA guy, but obviously I'm not following anybody like the Celtics. Yep. But yep. are the Bucks going to have that kind of an effort in those circumstances? I, I don't know, man. So I'm concerned. Color me concerned. Yeah, and, and look, that's fair. And, and the way they played in that first half, not just because of what happened in the half, but also because of the five games that happened before it. Like they should have been very excited to pull themselves out of the slump that they had. Even before the game, Mozula said, I think he was asked, How how do you not overlook these next two games for the Christmas Day game? And he's like, You kidding me? <laughs> We've lost four of five. Like our guys should be pretty focused on tonight's game and ending this. He's like, I think we'll be very ready. And they weren't ready at all. Um they just that was as flat as they've been all season. It was as life, lifeless as they've been all season. It was just an utter dud. Um and and judging them for that, like I don't blame you. I don't I I I do think if you look at the history of this Celtics core, um Sometimes it takes them like getting in bad situations to bring out the best of them. 
And that's maybe not a good trait. Uh, being at your best at all times would be more preferable. But but you look back at last year, like I said, 11th place, and everyone criticizing them, talking about should they blow it up, whatever. They dug themselves out of that and played the best basketball of any team over the last couple of months of the regular season, made it all the way to the finals. Playoff run. The first round against Brooklyn, like whatever. Brooklyn was not on a great level. They were never going to really challenge the Celtics, although some of those games were close. But second round, Milwaukee, like absolute collapse in game five at home in that series down the stretch. To fall behind 3-2, to go to Milwaukee with game six, need to win it on the road against the MVP. I guess he wasn't MVP last year, but could always be MVP, Giannis. And Tatum has, I think it was 46 points. That was just an epic performance from him. And they survive on the road against Milwaukee, then come home, and Grant Williams goes off because the Bucks just decided to leave him wide open for whatever reason. And they survive that series. The next series, like, again, game six. At home, they have a chance to to win the series, I believe, and lost. Like Kyle Lowry hits a big shot, Max Struess hits a big shot, and Celtics fall at home again. It wasn't until Game Seven that they played their best basketball in that series, um, and it like truly backs against the wall. <laughs> it really sometimes takes them until they are like basically in their grave to play their absolute best. Um, and maybe that's not a great trait. Like I said, like maybe they should react earlier, uh, but they always do seem to find a way out of these stretches. And I, I will I will admit, though, that, that first half was like the first time I wondered about this team. Like, is is something missing? Is something wrong? Because for most of this season, like I They've played like they've been on a mission from the finals. Um, But that first half, when they should have been eager for a win, when they were well-rested, second game of a homestand, Jason Tatum's back. They were missing Marcus Smart, but everyone else was in the lineup. And that was as bad as they've looked just about as bad as any team could look except maybe the Warriors against the Nets so yeah they're they're in it right now um they got to find a way out of it I, I don't think it's like time to panic I don't think the Celtics are panicking but but this has their attention and and they know like they know they need to fix this and I think Joe Masula knows Jason Tatum knows the rest of those guys know that that this is a time that matters. This is the time they need to pick themselves up. And, uh, yeah, just I didn't expect it. Didn't expect that first half, but, but it happened. And the Celtics need to find a way out of it. So thank you guys for all of the questions. Um, I see that people are mad at me for, for not – 
responding to the comments. I'm trying to, to talk in podcasts here. Uh, I do scroll through the pod, the comments normally at the end, but I'm sorry for, for not looking at your comments earlier. I will try to do a better job of looking at the comments, but it's tough. It's tough. It's honestly tough. I'm not usually the host of this podcast. Like Packard always does that. So when I have to do it, I'm juggling a few things and I'm not great at this. I'm learning. I'm learning. I'll get better. I promise. Uh, appreciate all you guys. Oh, we got, is this Packard? We got Sam P. If, if this is Packard calling in, I hope it's Packard. Oh, it is Packard. We got Packard. Oh, what's going on? I, I tune in. I hear you apologizing to the listeners. You must have really bungled this. People were mad at me in the comments. <laughs> what have you done, JK? What have you done to our podcast? I uh, I totally screwed up the podcast. I guess people people were mad at me by not that. by not reading the comments. Yeah. Oh, but Steven said he's not mad at me. All good if I'm podcasting. He thought it was just a live stream. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Oh, uh, well, what'd you talk about? Why the Celtics suck? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, we did. We we've done a, a pretty deep dive into the last six games. Uh, done some psycho babble bullshit about Joe Mazzulla and uh, some of the players on the team. And uh, it's been it's been fun times. Although I will say, like, I'm kind of I got to learn how to host. Because you're you're a good host. I'll I'll give you credit. You're you're legit. You've got you've got the energy. You you get everything. You've got the segues. You you organize everything. So a podcast without Packard is is not really much of a podcast at all. Well, I, I appreciate the compliments. Definitely did not expect that. I'm sorry I couldn't be there. I'm currently uh, editing a, a paper right now. Uh, I have paper, to have your two thousand going well. I wrote too much, embraced too much nuance, but I'm glad you now appreciate the difficulties of being a podcast host. And um, doing a solo podcast is never easy. Had to do it a couple of times, so I'm I'm glad you stepped up, Jay. I know uh, I appreciate it. I know I know it's difficult, but you know what? The kid, the god, the legend. You know he does what he has to do. You came on at the perfect time. Because we're just wrapping up, and I got to ask you: Is a call-in from a law student who's also a great podcast host potable? Anything is potable. <laughs> yes, yes. What what a treat! What a treat at the end of the podcast! Just a, a random packet appearance. God bless you. God bless everyone. Happy holidays to you all. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.